This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. to God. I didn't have a title for this message today and when I'm standing there in praise and worship, the Lord said, what's fear got to do with it? I thought, well, I don't know. We're going to find out. (laughs) Absolutely nothing against the power of God. It's just a secondhand emotion. There you go. It fits, doesn't it? You could have sang that. Glory to God. We are, we are. And you know, I want you to remember that when you think and the enemy tells you that what you're doing is having no impact or you don't see great numbers and you don't see and the enemy comes and says, see, you did all that and look at this and look at what this and look at that. But what you don't see is more important than what you do. Because we believe that when we speak the word of God, that we change things in the spirit realm. The spirit is the truth. The natural are the facts. The spirit realm will change the facts to line up with the word of God if you will use them, if you will do them, if you will commit to them. So we're going to talk a little bit about fear today. And do you think we can be interactive today? Will you answer questions if I ask? (laughs) Okay, good. We're going to head over to Daniel 3. And so we're going to do, there's a few things I want to do. So find Psalms 3 and 4 and Daniel 3 and 2 Timothy 1.7. So those are the, the, the main scriptures. I can't promise you I won't be you know, be bopping around everywhere else, but those were Daniel 3, Psalms 3 and 4, First Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 7, excuse me. Yes, so we're going to be in those. So what is fear? What is fear? False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. So when you get a report from uh, someone and it says you have X amount of time to live or um, what about this one? I really like this because most of us, not all of us, but most most of us can, we have, let's say, spent a lot of our years already and Some of us are on the top of the slope, getting on the toboggan, ready to go down. Others of us have not reached that halfway mark yet, you know, type of thing. But what happens is the older you get, the devil talks to you. 
and says, well, listen, you're not a spring chicken anymore. And there's a lot of people out there that have a lot more going on than what you do. And you're too tall, you're too short, you're too skinny, you're too fat. You don't come from the right side of the tracks. You come from the wrong side. You went over here. You didn't listen to God when you were young, so he's not going to use you when you're old type of thing. And all of those things are part of false evidence appearing real. You only have X amount of time to live. Well, the, the truth is we really do have X amount of time to live. Somebody just did an arbitrary time date for you that you focus in on a short period of time. But God said that we can live long and we can live strong. Whose report do you believe? And you can't have mental assent. So fear comes in every different type of package. How else does fear come? How else do people look at fear? Or how, how does fear talk to them? By hearing. But what does it say? I think a better question is that. What, what does it say? What does fear say? Uh-huh. Fear doubts. Yeah. Fear, doesn't, fear is the opposite of faith. It is the opposite of faith. That's right. Worry, stress, anxiety, anxiousness. What else? How does it present itself? Dread. No way out. That is exactly. There's a way for everybody but you. Isn't that what fear says? You know, ah, listen, this is a bad report. This is a really bad report. What, they, what fear says without saying is that God can't do anything about your situation. And even if he could, he won't do it for you. He will do it for Reverend so-and-so or somebody who's been walking in the word, but he won't do it for you. Isn't that what fear says? You've been in tough situations and fear talks to you. Fear says, you're too old, you can't do it. There's so much. Fear says, listen, there's so many people out there that are so much better than you are. What, who is going to listen to you? Who, when I go to pray for somebody, who's going to receive the things of God? They don't want to hear you. Remember what Jack said earlier? The devil's talking to them steadily about they don't want to hear, not going to do. Why spend any time in the word of God? Your friends are out doing such and such, enjoying themselves. How come you're in here when it's a nice day and you're spending all this time? just reading. You should be out doing something. You should be out enjoying company with your friends. Well, who are you to share anything? Those people, know, those people are more spiritually advanced than you are. Isn't that what fear says? And listen, you all have other things that fear talks to you about. I know you do. What about your self-limiting beliefs? What about your self-image? Have you ever had the devil come and tell you that there's something wrong, you can't do this because A, B, C, and D. And now, whatever the case may be, you're not quick enough. You're too slow. Somebody is smarter than you. And I used to have conversations with people, and I used to think, oh, my, I can't compete in that arena. I am just not that smart. Listen, the fact is they were much brighter in that area than I am. But the truth is, the Holy Spirit is much brighter than any of that. And if you hook up to the source of it, you will get what you need when you need it. Yeah. 
Not to have bragging rights, not to one-up anybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about being the best that you can be. But if you don't know that fear is hindering you, how do you know that you can get beyond it? Can you think in your individual life anything right now while we're talking that you can think the devil's been talking to you about or fear has been talking to you about that you've acquiesced and said, yeah, that's right. Instead of saying, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who said? Well, they said. They said, I only have X amount of time. I'd like to, wouldn't you like to get they some days? Somebody gets an argument and say, well, you know, they said blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, bring they here. Let's have a discussion with they. And they can't back up anything because everything is based on they. So, but now let's turn that in. How many times have you said they say without biblical evidence to support your stand, you took a self-limiting thing from the enemy and made it your own. I can't do that because... No, I don't think so, because... How do you like the... I'll try. Can you be to the healing thing on Saturday, such and such? And, you know, I know we've talked about it. You need healing for your body. Well, I'll try. I don't know if I can make it because I may not feel good enough. What is that? That derivative comes straight from the enemy, doesn't it? We don't really identify it as fear. But everything that is not of faith falls in that category, doesn't it? Okay. So, what do we know about fear? What do we know about fear? God came that you have life and have it more abundantly. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. So anything that is not life more abundantly is in the steal, kill, and destroy camp. Is there any sickness or any disease that is in the life camp? All right. So then why do we sometimes say, uh, I can live with that symptom? Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I ask myself all the time because the, the, when you look at it, we are unwilling to do the work that's required to position ourselves to receive what God has already provided. You know, I like this example for myself. It may not work for you, but I like it for me. If Jack buys us all lunch and there's a beautiful buffet and we decide, well, yeah, he probably did, you know, buy us lunch. And we all have our tickets and we go in there and we stand. And the buffet's over there and we stand and we look and say, yeah, I don't know if the tickets are really good. You know, you're doubting what the provider has given you, right? But then we can take it a step further as you go closer to the buffet and then you say, oh, Jack, get me some food. Jack, get me some food. And Jack says, hey, honey, there's a plate. There's, just go help yourself. No, Jack, please give me some food. Already paid for it, right? Got the ticket in my hand and unwilling to go over there and get anything for myself. But let's take it another step. 
So I take my plate, I take my utensils, and I load up my plate. And I head back to my seat, and I set it down. Jack, will you feed me? Jack, will you feed me? Jack, will you feed me? I refuse to pick up what has been provided and consume it to allow what that nourishment to nourish my body. Well, how is the spirit world any different? We sometimes acknowledge that God is, that he has provided, but we don't think. We hold the ticket. Some people won't even get the ticket in their hand. It's like, oh, no way. Healing's passed away. Other people will get the ticket, and they'll go, and they will, uh, what do they call, window shop. Trying to decide if what God has provided will actually work. Other people have a one more step, and they get inside, and they go look. But they say, if it's God's will, he'll heal me. Right? So what's the, what's the backside of that? Poof it on me, God. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to change anything. I want to keep on doing the same thing that I've been doing. Even though I got these results, let me just keep on doing the same thing. And please, you know, when I, I do want to get to heaven. So please don't leave me here. Just let me come to heaven. But I don't want to do anything that you bought and paid for. Don't impact me. Don't expect me to change. And others will go, and if you look at Mark chapter 4, it talks about all this. I like, I really like to look at the sower sows the word and what happens, and it has four different things it talks about. One person gets nothing, it just, the seeds go, you know. But the third and fourth things, the third one says that there is a seed planted, and it's producing the fruit, the the the. the the root is growing and producing, meaning the person is cultivating and doing everything that's necessary. But it says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things. What is that? Fear, 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 isn't it? It's all fear derivative. Come in and choke the word and it produces no fruit. So somebody has endeavored to work long and hard to get zippo results. Have you ever been there? I don't like that. I don't like that. I have been there. I don't like no fruit. Or have you been where you have fruit that is being produced, but you don't like the fruit, so you just kind of pick the fruit, but you never deal with the root. If you never deal with the root, what do you think the next fruit's going to be? The same thing. So if the root is corrupt, the fruit will be corrupt. All of that comes back to fear in that we, um, the devil tries to convince us that it won't work for us this time. You're too far gone. This is so bad. Or the report is, and you know what? And think about when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, What's the first thing? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm going to die. Death. Death. Fear is attached itself so blatantly to the word cancer. Do you know over the last two years the enemy has worked hard and because the Christians have been asleep? 
that the fear in the land is rampant. And so now they're trying to attach death, fear, everything to COVID. So that when the word COVID is spoken, everybody. So he is able to get things done. In my opinion, I can't prove this via the scriptures, but in the last two years, the enemy has been able to accomplish a whole boatload of stuff because of the amount of fear that is in the land. Even among Christians. That's the sad point. We're the gatekeepers. We're the ones. You know, for as much as we stand up and we say we talk about healing and we endeavor to walk healed whole, um, we have to do the same thing everybody else does. And that is we have to stand against the wiles of the enemy. What are the wiles? They are thoughts, ideas, and suggestions of the enemy. That's why it's, in, it's so important when you spend time with God that you know his voice. And you know, sometimes you know it so well in areas. In other times, there is, I don't say a blockage, but a, let's say a maze before you get what God is saying, you, saying to you because of some of the things we've put in our life, the fear, the doubt. You know, what about it hasn't worked for me for X amount of years. Why is it going to work now? Have you ever tried to do something over the years and had a measure of success and then you just never get over the finish line? You just never get over the finish line. That's the fruit with the corrupted root. And then what happens right about when you're going to get some good fruit is you give up because the result has always been bad fruit. And you say, well, it's not going to work for me. I think I'm not going to try anymore. I remember when I was in college, in college now, I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. And I remember something I had decided. I can clearly see it even as I talk to you. And it's just within the last two years that that has been identified and rooted out. It was wrong thinking based on wrong thought. It limited an area of my life that I didn't have success in for any great length of time. I had marginal, but not where I needed to be. Got up to the threshold, seemed to be pulled back every single time. If you have areas in your life like that where you're just getting to victory, but you're not making it over the threshold, the root is corrupt. Go back and ask God where it is. He showed me. He'll show you. And so you just take that and repent of it. It's a real easy thing. You take it and repent of it, you turn. But it's all based in fear. You're not going to measure up. You won't be able to do. The word of God will not work for you. So what do we know about fear is it's impossible to please God without faith. God needs your faith in order to operate in your life. Now, we can have other people influence for us. And that helps, but to get something, especially when you're in a hard place, you have to be engaged. You have to be involved. You have to be believing God. We can have people come alongside of us and shore us up. Remember Moses and his arms? Every time he let his arms down, the battle would go the other way. So a couple came alongside of them and held up each arm, so they won the battle. See, we need one another. We're not an island to ourselves. But what we do know is the enemy needs fear in order to do anything to us. He can't operate in your life without fear. 
He cannot operate in your life without fear. So when I'm asking about the different types and the ways that fear presents itself, I'm suggesting that we go back and re-examine where we are. What is limiting you from doing everything God has called you to do? Where are the limits there? What are they? And are they actual limits? Or are they limits you placed? One of the big ones you always hear about is, well, I don't have enough money. That's a big, everybody's said that or done that at some point in time. Well, I, have any, I don't have enough money to do that. Well, let me ask you this. Did God call you to do that? A lot of times I say yes. And I said, well, if God called you to do it, the last time I looked, when the Air Force gets somebody enlisted in their training to be a pilot, they do not make the pilot buy their own plane, do they? You ever heard of a pilot in the Air Force having to buy their own plane? No. So if God has called you to do something, who's funding? Your bank account or God's? God's. But how many times have we thought, I can't do something because I'm limited in this area? I hear a lot of times, well, you don't know where I came from. Well, honey, you don't know where I came from. We don't know, really and truly, unless you've walked in those shoes. You don't know what somebody's experienced. But God does. does. And he knows the calling. He knows the plans and the purposes. And I'm here to tell you, you are not too young, and you are certainly not too old. If you're taking a breath, you're never too old. So, but fear tells you otherwise. So, fear has torment, according to John 4, 18. Do you know that God opposes fear? So what God opposes, aren't we supposed to oppose? Aren't we supposed to stand against? Aren't we supposed to stand against the wiles, the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions of the devil? I, don't, I have not read anywhere in Scripture. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. I'm correctable. But I have not read anywhere in Scripture where God says, go ahead and agree with the devil for just a little while. Anybody? Never. But I can count. If I look, well, I can't count because it's probably far too many to count, but I know areas where I agreed, couldn't do it because, wouldn't try. Now, think about this. This is kind of where I'm going today. When somebody, well, let's read the scriptures. Let's go with Daniel 3. Should have been there already. So, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1. A king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He, now, that was 90 feet tall approximately. I don't know how far, how wide six cubits is. Does anybody know? So it's 90, nine zero feet tall approximately. Um, he must have thought of himself quite well. And I'm thinking about when you stop and you, you think about this, he made this image of gold. Now, Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it. He had people do it. But is, you know, how, do you have any idea how much that little bugger weighed or the big thing weighed? Can you imagine how long it took to do it? It was a massive, massive structure. How much money was represented there? 
King, uh, verse 2, then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the consulars, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providence to come to the dedication of the image with Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, all the consuls, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so here's the decree. Everybody in the land. Six cubits is 7.8 feet. 7.8 feet. 7.8 feet. Okay, somebody help me. So how big is 7.8 feet? Roughly. From here to the podium, roughly, is going to be the width of the statue. Ten times that high. Ninety feet high and nine feet wide. Formidable, don't you think? I wonder how long it took to build. I wonder what people were thinking about. What, what if somebody said to you, okay, starting tomorrow, you're coming in, you're going to build an image to me. What if a ruler said that to you? Think about the people involved in what's going on as we go through. They accepted They accepted it. Where did so... That's right. So where it didn't start with the statue. It started with conformity way before. So what do you think those people are? You better do it because if you don't do it, the king's going to order you, you're gone. And then what about the peers? You, you listen, you better go ahead and do it. Hey, Daddy, just, just go ahead and do it. We want you around for a little while longer. Just, just be obedient. Just do it. Say... When you stand on the Word of God where your healing's concerned, a lot of times you're going to have a lot of opinions. I remember Aunt Susie had what you had, and, and, you know, they said that she was going to do such and such, but it never went like that, and she just had all sorts of problems. And then you know about Uncle so-and-so who had this. Then you know about so-and-so. And then those people, and that's why it's very important when you ask people to pray that you know who you're asking for what. Don't put that on Facebook. Pray for me, pray for me. You don't know what those people are praying. You're praying, believing for healing and wholeness. Don't be putting that out there because they're going to be saying, Jack, did you hear about Joe? Man, I know she says she's standing, but what, what's going on there? I don't know that she's got a prayer. You know, I mean, think about those things. It's important what you think, what the enemy tells you. Do you think... Does it tell you anywhere in the scripture to go ahead and get a thousand people to pray and it'll be more powerful than getting two in agreement? No. No. I think it'd be more effective to put your own prayer out there and say, this is what I'm believing for myself. Y'all agree with me? Well, this is prayer. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I still would not, me personally, I still would not put it out there because I know so-and-so is like, well, I don't know what, who, thinks she, who thinks she thinks she is that, you know, that would happen. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to do it, do it that way. Yeah. Well, 
it, but here's the thing about it is, whatever God's leading you, what did God say to do? Don't we want to act? We want to hurry up and act. We want to make something happen. That's not God's way. Any more than, you know, the world says, get it all. Whatever you got, let me, let me get it, let me get it. And God says, hey, are you have a need? Plant a seed. Plant a seed. We heard uh, a dear sister say this, and I remember when, when John was in the hospital. If it was moving, I was praying. Didn't matter what it was. I, I mean, my little, my little antlers were out. It's like, who needs prayer? Because I need results. And I put every seed I could in the ground. I didn't care what was going on. You need, I stopped one day. Um, I was, happened to just look out of the, the room one day, and there's this woman. Ah, you know, after a while, you just see, you can see fear. Can you? And from the top of her head and every part around her, She's covered, full of fear. And I walked down there, and I said, ma'am, I said, do you think I could pray for you and stuff? And she said, oh, I wish you would, I wish you would. That fear left, immediately, that fear left because of one prayer. So you look for opportunity to sow the seed. The devil will tell you, pay attention. Don't, you got enough things to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because God's way is to give and shall be given. Press down good measure running over. So do it God's way. So this is what is happening. You go back and he said, and Harold cried out, verse four, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. All right. Can we just look at this? So here comes the mandate. The king is saying, at this time, at this place, you will do A, B, C, and D. That's the mandate, right? The king is mandating that they bow down what does that signify? Worship. Signifies worship, but doesn't it signify surrender? Yeah. Bow down. Yeah. And you're going to worship the statue. So when the decree came, there was a decision to make. What are you going to do? What's the penalty here for them? Let's come back here a little bit and say, so, well, let's go. Whoso falleth not down and worshiped shall the same hour, the same hour, it's interesting to me later, be cast into the midst of a fire, burning, fiery furnace. So the fear was demise. This is the end of my life. And it's imminent, meaning we're not, possibility of trial or whatever out here we're talking about within the same hour but do you notice that the command was to bow down can I put it this way the command was surrender now because if you do not voluntarily 
do what I'm telling you to do, then these are the repercussions. Isn't what the devil does it all the time like that? All the time like that. We don't recognize it. But he says, give up right now. Because it's going to be too much for you. It's going to be too tough. It's going to be a hard fight and you're going to lose anyway. So go ahead and give up so that I don't have to fight with you. I don't have to wage war. And I don't have to worry about ever being defeated. Is that true? Yes. If he can get you to give up and cave in and quit before anything even happens, he's won because he knows if you have the word of God in you and you dare to take a stand, whether you're rock solid in your faith or your feeble, weak need on faith, faith is still stronger than his ability to do anything to you. He doesn't win, but if he gets you to give up without any type of fight, there is no defeat in his future. So we give oftentimes. We give inches, then we give miles, then we give in. I guess I'll just never be able to do it. I might as well just quit. It's a fight without a fight and a victory for the enemy because we just even refuse to take a stand. Yes. And that, well, that's such a good thing because we have a fight without a fight in the kingdom of God because God says the battle is his and the victory is ours. But if you're in the enemy's camp over here and you say, oh, I guess you're right. You have victory within your grasp. You did. You gave it to the enemy. Isn't that interesting? The scriptures are always so wonderful. So he said, therefore, verse 7, at that time when all the people heard, heard, heard. I don't know about you, but, you know, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When they heard the words of demise, the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and languages obeyed. It says they fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. All right, so think about this. What if those that knew God, the children of God, all banded together and took a stand? What do you think? So here we have, and this is a lesson because the crowd does not. It's not the crowd that stands. It's the individual's that will turn into, what is that? Somebody famous said this. Uh, one, it will take one person of courage to stand and others will get a backbone. That is so true. That is so true. But look at what happened here. Um, they fell down, they obeyed. Verse 8, wherefore at the time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. 
How you know the devil always has helpers that are willing to go along with his little thing. They didn't do it, you know. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, king, let me suck up a little bit. Live forever, oh, king, you know. Let me give you some. I'm on your side. Don't be deceived. I would certainly stab you in the back if I could, but I can't. Don't have the power. But, oh, king, live forever. We just love you. But, by the way, you know that you did the decree, I mean, and these guys are not doing what they're supposed to do. Whistleblower. <laughs> so, let's see, I lost my place. They spake and said to the king, okay, verse 10, Thou, O king, has made a decree, and every man that shall hear the sound of the coronet. Kind of makes you wonder if you could put plugs in your ears so you didn't hear it, you know, but <laughs> it probably wouldn't work. Flute, harp, sackcloth, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worship, whosoever will not come in line and immediately surrender to the enemy, he should be cast in the midst of the fiery furnace. I'm going to take that sentence one step further. Whosoever will not fall down, submit to the enemy, and forsake all his God-given rights. We're children of the king. We had God-given rights. If for no other reason, we would take a stand because we have God-given, bought with blood, life rights that belong to us. Why would we ever think of throwing in the towel before there was ever a battle to begin and give the enemy the win? It's an interesting thing and challenges me to do better on some things. Whoso falleth not down in worship, he shall be, should be cast, that he should be cast into the midst of the fiery, burning fiery furnace. And are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of providence. Hey, boss, you put these guys in high up positions and they're thumbing their nose at you. But you put them there. Ah, Probably. Envy, maybe, jealousy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then, when, see this is that then, then Nebuchadnezzar and his rage and fury, what happens when you don't voluntarily give up everything? right at the onset, and the devil has to fight. Then there's other tactics that come in. Rage, so madness comes in, and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar and his rage and fury command it. All right, you bring those guys to me. Do it now. Now he's mad. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? Well, I like this part. At least he gave him the benefit of being able to answer instead of just, you know, chuck him off to the furnace. But he said, is it true? Oh, um, oh Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. So what is this? Another opportunity to voluntarily give up your rights and forsake God. Another opportunity. Because, of course, the devil, if he can not fight, so much better. He wins. Now, if 
opportunity. Now, if you'll be ready, I'll give you one more time. But what did the king say? The king said, if you don't, this is going to happen to you. He didn't say anything about second chances, third chances, or fourth chances. He said, if you don't do it, you're going to the furnace within an hour. But here he is. And he said, uh, let me see. Now, if you'll be ready, if you'll straighten up and do what I'm telling you to do, that at the time when you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, it'll be good with you. But if you worship not these things, you shall, you shall, more pressure. You're gonna, I'm going to toss you in. You understand what I'm telling you? I'm trying to give you an opportunity. I am trying to help you here. Do the right thing. Give up. Cave in and quit. All your friends. Do it. Do it. Do it. You're going to die. Do it. Do it. Just do it. Just do what he says. Just give up everything. Go ahead. Let the enemy win. In the midst of fire furnace, who is that? Who is that? And then add his insult to injury as far as we're concerned. And who is that God? Who is that God? Who, who do you who think your God is that will deliver you out of, your, out of my hands? So listen, listen to this. You know, they answered and said to the king, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, I want you to close your eyes and don't look at your Bible because I want to say it this way so you hear. They said... If it be so that you cast us into the furnace, but if it be not that you cast us into the furnace, they said, if it be so that you cast us in us, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. He will deliver us out of your hand but if you don't cast us into the furnace, be it known that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Okay, you can open your eyes. I just wanted you to hear because this is the way it reads. It says, if it be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the, bio, uh, fire, uh, the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. So listen to this. If it was the way most preachers preach it, if it's so, all right, that you put us in our and you put us in a furnace, um, God's going to deliver us out. But if it's not, we're not going to serve your God. Well, if He put them in the furnace and God did not deliver them, would they be able to serve anything? That's kind of dumb when you just read the scripture and read it. And I read like, I don't know, 10 or 12 different things. And it says, well, if you put us in the furnace, you know, if God delivers us is the way they say it. But if God doesn't deliver us, it was never a question about will God deliver me? Never. It was never a question about because if God did not deliver them, it didn't matter what happened. They're not serving anybody or anything because they're crispy critters. 
It's not going to happen. So he's talking about our God's going to deliver us. If you put us in the furnace, he's going to deliver us. But if you don't put us in the furnace, we're not serving your gods. Now, think about that in just the light of some of the things we've experienced in the last year or two. Yes. In my Bible, the word, even if not, is, is in italics, meaning it wasn't in the original. So that my okay. version, if I take that out, would say, he will deliver us out of your hand, no king, but let it be known to you. There wasn't any if in there. There you go. Let it be known. We're not going to worship. There you go. There you go. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard it preached, and it says, but if you don't deliver us. So what is that? Even that little thing is giving the enemy a foothold, thinking, yeah, but if he doesn't deliver. These guys didn't have a if he doesn't stand. So what, you know, what does that tell you when you're in the midst of things, especially where sickness and disease, or anything is concerned that you're believing God for? That you've got to get to a position where you're in the position that you stand. You stand. You stand with full assurance. How do you know where you're there? I can always say it this way. I don't always know when I'm not there, but I know when I'm there. Because, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 3, that says you, Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about we labor to enter into his rest, and they could not enter into his rest because of their unbelief. So when you get to a point where you have the unbelief out and you have the assurance, you have a full assurance. These guys had a full assurance. They knew, number one, who their God was. They knew their God was going to deliver them no matter what. And, you know, people say, well, I know people, and they were believing God, but they departed anyway. You don't know nothing. You don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know why some people depart that it appears that they are believing God. But I know of many cases where that is the case and you find out two months, three months, two years later that they had planned for their departure and they were telling you what you wanted to hear and they were telling other people. Or they were not. I knew one lady... Um, that I had spent some time with and, and stuff like that. And she told me all about her granddaughter, how her granddaughter belonged here and did this and did that and did this. And she knew she was going to be healed because her granddaughter was an upstanding member of the church. And, but she never believed the word of God for herself. The devil had her blinded in an area and refusing to look anywhere else. But because of this thing. So he said they had an assurance. They had an assurance. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. So you think about this. You get a diagnosis. All right. Devil's telling you you're not going to make it. Just give up. Just go ahead and go with the flow. Do whatever they tell you to do. And just don't, don't be worried about it. It's your time to go. And that's what you hear a lot of time. Well, everybody has a, a time. Uh, a time to depart. I said, well, let me see. It says it's been given unto man once to die. It never said anything about a time to die. And so you have to go through the scriptures and it says that if you honor your father and mother, it's the first commandment with promise and you'll live long on the earth. You can go through all of those scriptures that promise you with long life, Psalms 91, will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. 
So if there is that side of it, there's another side of it. Well, what about you dishonor your mom and dad? Does it shorten your life? Well, I don't know. I just know that if you honor, it prolongs. So if it can prolong, there are things that can shorten. There are things that can prolong. God says you can live long and look. God said to live till you're satisfied. Did he give you a time? Did he say, okay, number X plus one, you're gone out of here, <laughs> go. Well, if I keep getting healed, how am I going to depart? Well, God will take your breath away. There will be a time. There will be a time. But don't go early and don't go sick. Don't give the, the devil anything. So we don't know why people sometimes, we don't see. We're, we'll find those answers out. But in the, in the meanwhile, you have to be, because we all have seen loved ones go. We've all seen loved ones go. None of us want our loved ones to go. We want them to stay. However, it doesn't change the word of God. The word of God is true. And I'm going to get what God said belongs to me. And I'm not going to voluntarily give up. And I want to know those areas that I voluntarily give up. Because you know the wonderful thing about it is? You can go back and start the fight. Take your stand. Let God fight for you. And you can kick. You know, when John departed, my thing was, we're, let, let's go. Let's get them. Let's get the worst ones out of hell, the ones that the devil thinks he'd never let go of. Let's go get those. Let's go get those. Go get them just to make him mad because he dared to take something that was precious to me. So live my days. That's, my, that's part of my mission. Live my days. Go get the ones that devil thinks are so entrapped in hell. Let's go get them. Let's go get them. Bring them out. God's willing. Are you? So he said, well, uh, let's see. Where should we go here? 19, then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and form, and his visions, visions was changed. I can't say that word right, was changed. His whole countenance was changed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times. Okay, so let me ask you this. How hot does the flame have to be to burn you? Can a match burn you? Yeah. So what was the purpose of seven times? Pressure. Pressure. We're going to make it so hot as if a regular furnace wouldn't do the job. We're going to make it so hot. I love the seven because it represents God, of course. And um, I love the fact that the devil thinks he's got it. He's got it. This is no way to escape. There is no way. Now, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pick one of them. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are your friends and family doing around you? What about if you're one of those mighty men? He called, it's funny, he called men with more muscles and grit and the mighty men to come and put them in the furnace seven times hotter. Don't you think if you were Nebuchadnezzar and you looked, because you know he's got to be watching this thing. He's not going to say just shove him in and, and, you know, walk. So you find out later he is watching. So anyway, here's a furnace, seven times hotter than anything. Here's these big men. They've got them all bound, you know, their clothes, everything's bound up. And they're, I'm assuming that they probably couldn't walk 
or the head of walk like this, you going in the furnace like that? I'm thinking like, no, I'm going in, you're putting me in. Mm -mm, Nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to. Why would I cooperate? So they got these men. I assumed, picked them up. I don't know. I wasn't there, but we'll find out when we get to heaven. They put them in the furnace. I'm, I'm thinking if I was Nebuchadnezzar and these guys were torched and the other three were untouched just when the furnace door was open, I might be rethinking my strategy. But the devil's dumb. For all his smarts, he's dumb, isn't he? As long as he can convince you that God's way won't work. How many times have you gotten a word from God that is so bizarre? You think, you'll be praying for somebody and God tells you to say something. You think, I ain't saying that. What? I can't say that. That won't be good. And yet you know that you know that you know. And then you go ahead and you're obedient. And it's like the person gets set free. And you're thinking, thank God I was obedient. If I was Nebuchadnezzar looking at this, and the mighty men that he got, they went up in flames. They were no more. And here's Shadrach. The three of them standing there. I'd be thinking, I need to rethink. But no, not him. So he gets more men. If you were one of those men, what would you be thinking? Oh, man. Those ones that knew everything got torched. What chance have I got? Don't you think that you'd be doing a come to Jesus moment? Well, they didn't have Jesus at the time, but you know what I mean. They would, they would be thinking, uh, 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 you know, I don't want to be next. I didn't do nothing wrong. Yet all of those fell in line and obeyed and did their quote unquote, it's my job. Do you leave your godliness at the door when you go to your job? It's my job. I just have to do my job. See, there's so many ways the enemy has come in and used fear to coerce us. Then was, okay, let's see. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in this armory to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, I'm thinking hose would probably kind of burn, you know. Their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men fell down, bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was a stone, a stone, a stone, A S T O N I E D, right? Tell me. Astonished. That's what I thought it was supposed to be, astonished, but there's no I S H on it. Okay. So the equivalent is astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his consorts, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? So here he's watching the whole thing. He is watching and hoping for the demise of these three men. And so you have to wonder what somebody that would do that would be so full of. It has to be the enemy, obviously. So, um, 
And then he said, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, O king, yes, it's true. And he said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Interesting to me that he recognizes God. Heathen man recognizes God. We get all these little weird things in our mind when we go to witness to somebody and, and do some things or when we get these reports about all of these things as if God cannot take care of it. As if God, somebody wouldn't recognize God. Here's a heathen person recognize God in the midst of the fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the... Then, listen to this, watch this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then it says they came forth out of the midst of the fire. Do you know they did not come out until they were called out? Yeah. They'd rather be in there. They didn't come out till they were called out. You talk about it gives 90, Psalms 91 new meaning, doesn't it? In the secret place of the Most High God, abide under the shadows of the Almighty. Who, you know, and one of the translations says, whose no foe can withstand. Isn't that an interesting thing? You can see all of that. Uh, um, okay, so I want to stop there. Let's. Go, I'm gonna. I want to conclude. I want to go to Psalms three. I hope that was interesting to to get a different perspective a little bit on things. I'm gonna read some of all of Psalms three and then some of Psalms four. And I don't know those of you that remember years ago there was a song based on Psalms 3. And so every time I read Psalms 3, I hear the songs. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. You'll be happy to know. But Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. See, when we say, well... I just don't know. I can't do it. We're saying that we believe that God will not help us, that God is not able. Maybe he's able, but God will not on our behalf come to our rescue. He said, but thou, O Lord, you're a shield for me, my glory, the lifter up my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. Think about that. Selah. I laid me down and, and slept. I laid me down and slept. For those of you that cannot sleep, here's somebody in the midst of turmoil. And he said, I laid down and I slept. Why? God said he gives his beloved sleep. Call on the promises of God. Rely on God to do that. I waked for the Lord sustain me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people that have set themselves against me round about. I'm not going to be afraid of a diagnosis that came from somebody. They are doing what they know best. God has placed many of these people in there with the knowledge and the wisdom to help you through a problem. So, but that report, that report that is delivered 
I will not be afraid of 10,000 reports that come against me or any opposition of the devil because I don't fly, I don't fight in my flesh. If you fight in the five physical senses, you lose. You lose. You've got to fight in the spirit realm. That's where our fight is. And remember that the battle is the Lord's. The victory is ours. Arise, O Lord, save me. And let me say this. You know, for those of us that know the word of God, when we go and, and we administer the word of God to people and we say something like, oh, brother or sister, just don't worry. God's got this and you just have to stand on the word and they don't know what you know and they are not where you're at. That's why you got to hear from God those little flippant scriptures that come out of our mouths. Now, we're talking to one another, but even I've seen where somebody's in some kind of a crisis. Oh, brother, just stand in the word. You know, it's all going to work out just fine. God's, you know, it doesn't help somebody who's in the middle of crisis. You got to come along where they are, help them, feed them. Maybe you spoon feed them at that point in time. Maybe you just give them a meal and help them sit and fellowship with them. But don't just pluck it out there and then because what they will hear, the devil will pick it up and what they will hear is, well, you're just not strong enough in faith. You, you haven't, you're just not as mature as you need to be. You've missed it. Well, we all know God didn't miss it anywhere. We don't have to be reminded of anything. We're learning. Just like you teach children, they learn, they learn, they get better, they get better, they grow up, and they become. See, healing gets planted. You water it. You cultivate it. You keep it water, and it grows up and becomes health. It's not a task. And not the judgment side. And I'll tell you what, um, when you cultivate, cultivate and build relationships, people will listen to what you have to say. And it makes you more... Uh, let's say, more receptive to hear what they have to say. Because nobody wants the Bible thumped at them. You know, and when you're desperate and you need help and you just get a Bible thump, what does that do? Well, I would have, but, you know, I tried, but they just told me to do such and such. See, so like you said, in love, it's not a task even though we do a task. It's not a task it's a ministry. Big difference the way I look at that. Listen, I know, I know those of us type A, we have a lot of tasks. We want to get them done. But the tasks are not the goal. The ministry is the goal to allow because you're inside of you is the treasure in this earthen vessel that we need to day in and day out know how to release to somebody. You may release it here one way and a whole nother way over here. So, and that's why when, you know, when I go to minister to somebody that I know something about their life, 
I know different things. It's like sometimes I hesitate because I don't want what's up here to impact what is in here. So I'll just, you know, you, you see me a lot of times, I'm not laying hands on anybody quickly. I'm not, and I'll be talking to them, asking them a question, whatever, and they're like, come on, just pray for me. And I'm thinking, mm-mm, mm-mm. And until I want to hear, I want to know when I take a step forward that I'm going to be in faith releasing the power of God. Because this vessel without the power of God flowing doesn't have your answer. The power of God has your answer. And I don't want to be the stoppage in there. I want to be the let's turn on the valve and flow. Lord, what have you got for him? So... All right, so he says, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people that have set themselves against me. So you can say, I'm not going to be afraid of the reports. I'm not going to be afraid of my boss firing me. I'm not going to be afraid of this. If you're standing, when I say that, I don't say it loosely. If you're standing in the things of God and you're assured in what God has told you and you're reading in the Word, you're in right standing, then you have no place to fear. If you're going to be in rebellion and say, well, I'm not doing anything my boss says. I'm not doing anything the doctor says. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Well, you know, pretending doesn't, something doesn't exist is the devil saying to you, oh, honey, you got this, don't worry about it, because no matter what, it, what comes to be will be, and you'll be just fine, you don't have to do anything. Well, is that not the same as giving up and not fighting? Not taking a position, agreeing with the devil, he's wrong, he's a liar, he's a loser. You've gone to his camp and agreed with the lies, and then you expect, voila, something different. And you're amazed when you don't get something different, you get what the enemy has promised you. And so when we do that, and it comes back to self-evaluating what's going on for us. Are we believing the lies of the devil, or are we firmly planted in the word of God? And when I say that, no condemnation. There's no condemnation now to those that are who are in Christ Jesus who are called according to his purpose, that walk in the Spirit. So we hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say and we respond. We make adjustments all the time along the way. Just don't give in, cave in, quit just because you got a bad report. He said, Arise, O God, save me, my God, for thou hast smitten, past tense, all my enemies upon the cheekbone, and has broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon his people. I'm going to read just a little bit in verse, um, uh, in Psalms 4. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And it says... um, Verse 6 says, there will be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light. So there's many that will say, you ain't going to get it. God's not going to do anything for you. You know, he did those things way back when. He's not. He didn't care about those little things. Um, Verse 7 says, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makes me to dwell in safety. Sometimes we have to sleep by faith. We have to do it by faith. Well, how do you do that when pain is talking to you? 
How do you do that? Do you know that the enemy's desire is to take your focus away from the answer to the problem? So as long as he can keep you centered on the problem, then all your attention goes there. And it's the same thing as you're not going to fight him because you're agreeing with him. All your attention is on the problem. So how is that easy? I never said it was, did I? Faith is not for wimps. You know, the testings and the trials come. He says, they're going to come. The weapon formed against you will prosper. Do you give up, cave in, and quit? Or you just keep standing? Get your reinforcements. There should be, everybody should have four crazy friends. This is what I need. I'm believing for this. I've spoken to the pain. I've demanded it to go. I've spoken to the circumstances. You still having issues? Do what you need to do in the natural also. Don't be, you know, don't be stupid. If you're at the point where you've never believed for healing and you have a headache, go get the aspirin out. Talk to the aspirin. Tell it to do what it's supposed to do and take the aspirin if that's what it takes to get rid of the pain. And then work on believing God. Listen, headache, you don't belong to me. You're not mine. Get off of me in the name of Jesus. I'm not. No. Well, it still hurts. Did you pray? Did you believe God? Did you receive it? Or did you just pray and say, well, I guess one day it's going to happen? What you receive, you have possession of. If you have possession of it, are you asking for it anymore? No, no because you have possession of it. So then what are you doing? Praising. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. So then you get your mind, and instead of on that thing that the enemy wants you to focus on, you take what you've prayed for, believe it, you receive it, and you get your mind on God. God, you said, this is what you said, Lord. You said, I'm in the secret place of the Most High. You said that Jesus bore the pain at the cross. You said, now, I received it. I'm expecting for this to change. Now, you're not demanding God to do anything. God's already done everything. You're demanding the enemy to take his hands off of you. So... Faith is not for wimps. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1.7. And we're going to stop there. This scripture is so good. And I heard somebody preach something the other day on this. And, um, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't think for a lot that fear is an issue. And I'm, for me, and I'm surprised sometimes when something comes across and God says, uh, uh, what was that? I'm thinking, what do you mean? And you go through the process. Well, it's not downright, I'm going to get you fear. But it's like, well, I can't do that because. So there I am giving up without even doing because of whatever the objections are. So I, I like for him to identify. But here's what, here's what I heard the other day. He said, take this scripture and do this in the morning. Do it in the afternoon. Do it in the evening. Tell yourself, 
For God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. He said, you will be surprised. And this is not anything new to any of us right here. You'll be surprised the difference it'll make in just a few days. So I've purposed. Well, Father, I thank you. You've not given me the spirit of fear. You've given me the spirit of power. What does that power do? Woohoo! Think about it. You've given me the spirit of love. I can walk in love with people that just don't even like me. And you have given me a sound mind. I have a sound mind in the name of Jesus. That means everything works the way it's supposed to work, how it's supposed to work, and I have perfect memory recall in the name of Jesus. And my youth has been renewed like the eagle. That's like taking the sword and just sticking it into them. But I'm telling myself what God believes about me. And I'm changing what I believe about myself down, deep down inside where nobody can see because we act out of our core beliefs. And I would venture to say everybody in this room has at least one, if not two or a hundred, core beliefs that are a little twisted. Because if we did not, I would venture to say we'd be living out of the full, out of the overflow in everything that is written in the books of life for us to accomplish in this lifetime. I'm ready to take the limits off. I'm ready to trust God and do what God has told us. <laughs> I was kind. I was kind. My will, yielding my will to his, to his will, his power, his way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, power right there in that verse, I've got, I don't know when I read it out there, but I've got inherent dunamis, dunamis. power. That's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. That's the same power that came the day of Pentecost. Dynamite. Dynamite, absolutely. If that so seems just, it ain't just power. It's power. There you go. I love it. It ain't just power. It's power. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will also quicken, make alive, amen, your mortal body. Can I read verse 6 mm -hmm. that's right before that? Yes. Okay, verse 6, right before that says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the laying on of my hands. I believe that's the Holy Spirit, but I also believe the way you stir that up is praying in tongues. Absolutely. And I believe if you pray in tongues a lot, then all of a sudden the realization that you don't have a spirit of fear, but power, dunamis, love, and a sound mind is increased by praying in the spirit. 
Who stirs up? Who stirs up? One more time. Who stirs up? We do. How many people have come across your path and said, oh, brother or sister, pray for me for more faith? You stir up that which is in you. You know, and when we look at this, we're the conduit. We are the vessel. But what's inside of us, as Linda and Terry have said, is that stick of dynamite. That's what Pam was alluding to. The stick of, it's not a stick of dynamite. It is a full dynamis, dynamite. We have to stir ourselves up. Yeah, and well, I think right. Right. That connection. Okay, so what, I, what I'm saying is, yeah, I'm sorry. that connection, I believe, now you all, you all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's not just a one-sided. We are to stir ourselves up, but I believe it actually is a connection like you plug in to the power. So I don't think it's a one. I think it's our willingness, our ability to hook up with God and then then allow God, the Holy Spirit, to direct that we can loose the power. God, does, you know, it's the Spirit of the Lord that does the works. And so I believe it's kind of like a collaborative effort. But who goes first? We do, because God is always ready, willing, and able. So unless we do the stirring up and the obedience and moving out, then the rivers of living water are stunted, blocked, damned is a good way, held up and unable to flow, and people are needing what we have. That's what it's all about. Think about it this way. 
when you, that's good, Jerry, when you, when you plant, just what you said, when you're planting the word and you're planting the word, you're planting the word, you're cultivating, you're doing everything. What is happening? The word is growing up and becoming. So anything that is in opposition to the flow and the power of that, what is happening? It's being pushed out, right? You get so full of the word of God and healing. Not Now listen, I've known plenty of people that have confessed and they've done this and they've done that and they've done that and they're in the process of earning. Earning, I got to do this. I got to confess this. I we are not talking about that. We are talking about earnestly planting the word of God, watering it, growing it. You believe what you say more than anybody else. So as it comes out of your mouth, it goes in your ears, plants in the heart, and the seed grows up, becomes, and it pushes out sickness and disease. So you go back to the doctor sometimes, and it's like, um, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing there. What about the lady with the issue of blood? What about her? She had the issue of blood her whole life, right? She spent all her money and everything to go into the doctors and stuff like that. She was nothing she better, was but grew inside of her that all yeah. she had to do was touch That's the hem it. of Jesus' garment and uh -huh. she would be healed. Yeah. None, the, none of the, whatever, whatever those doctors told her, she didn't listen to it. No. She had that desire in her heart, that will in herself to be able to, to find the answer to be able to be healed. Well, she had tried everything, you remember? Yeah. But she was nothing bettered, nothing so she had to listen to what they said, but she spent everything she had. Right. Nothing better but rather grew worse. Well, you know, she had but she was still determined. Right. Then all of a sudden when she heard about Jesus, she's like, oh, that's my answer. You know, that's she, it. Even though she had spent all of her money and gone through all the medical processes, she was still looking for She an made a quality decision to yeah. trust Jesus and the word are the same. She made a quality decision to trust the word of God. Now watch. She got something at the end, remember? She got, it's the only place in the Bible that says immediately she's made whole, right? What was, what was, her, what was her response? Think. What was her next response? When she got healed. When she got healed, she said she knew immediately she was made whole. What'd she do? She tried to sneak off, didn't she? Jesus said, somebody touched me because I knew virtue went out of me. And holy, the, the, the apostles are saying, uh, what's the matter with you? Who didn't touch you? But the Bible doesn't record all those people that touched him getting anything. But, you know, I, I take it back to if you, can, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, yeah. you're saved, right? She, she yeah. did, and I believe. Right. And she was unclean. She was unclean. So every, anybody she touched, anything she did was unclean? Oh, yeah. Right. Jairus had the right to stone her. 
Yeah. And he's the one that stopped everything. You know, she stopped everything for him. Yeah. But now when she took off from there and Jesus said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Who, who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? She had to testify what happened. I believe the devil would have stole her healing had she had not had that moment of standing up and saying, I was found out in Jesus acknowledging what Jesus did. Remember, um, Billy Burke always says, celebrate every olive leaf. I don't care what it is. If you can't do anything in your body and all of a sudden the toe starts to work, you do whatever you need to do to celebrate that. You celebrate every olive leaf that comes along where your healing is concerned. Don't let me take it from you. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't go talk to people about your diagnosis that are not going to stand in agreement with you. And if you've got somebody who is telling you something, smile at them real nice and say, I'm working on something and turn around and walk away. Say, Lord, I thank you. You never leave me. You never forsake me. That you're my God. You always show up. I thank you that I'm already healed. That the report doesn't, the report's just a fact. Facts are subject to change. They change by the word of God. I have my healing. I received it on such and such a day, such and such a time. I stand before you healed and rejoicing in what you're doing. I thank you, Father. I am not moved. I refuse to come down to the natural and fight any, anything with the devil. I'm not giving up. I'm not caving in. I am not quitting. I'm standing here healed, whole, delivered, and I talk to my body. Now listen up, buddy. I wrote in lipstick on my, on my mirrors, I mean, my scriptures. And I gave my sister a start one day. She went into the restroom. I had, like, red lipstick all written on with the scriptures. And uh, she said, wow. She said, I knew what you were doing, so it wasn't a problem. But she said, the first time I saw it, what do you need to do to remind you of what you believe? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I'm above. And I'm, I believe sickness and disease is trespassing in my body. I believe it has no right to trespass in my body. I demand it to be removed and cast in the sea. I'm not doing another day like this. I'm not doing another day like this. You're going to listen to me. So you pray, you believe God, and it looks like nothing changed. I couldn't do this one day. This is, I mean, this is hard. I mean, it was this arm. It was one of these arms. Anyway, it, went, it, was, it was the right this is all I could do. This is all I could do. And um, I, I couldn't turn over in bed without excruciating pain. It was like, oh, my gosh, what is the deal? I was working 85 hours a week, and this was a hindrance. And so one day I went up to, it was after service, went up to the preacher, and I said, I want you to pray for me. I want you to agree with me. I said, this stops today. I've had enough. I've had enough of the pain, and you just agree with me in prayer, I'm healed. So we agreed in prayer. I walked out of that aisle, pain, pain, pain. Oh my gosh, pain. Every time I turned in bed, it was like pain. I was, and it wasn't pleasant either because it was, you know, I'm sure it irritated everybody around because I was in pain. And I don't know, a couple of days later, I was doing something or another, and I, um, I went like this. I thought, oh, Oh, look at, look at, it moves. <laughs> I turned over in bed and I was ready for the pain and there wasn't any pain. I got it back there when I said what I said. I did not see any evidence that I had obtained, but there was my line 
I'm not backing off of it. I have it. That's the end of it. I'm going to tell you one quick story, and I should have quit 15 minutes ago. When I was in the nursing home, I had to walk down big, long halls this way, that way, and whatever, and I'm bebopping down the, the nursing home, and the next thing I know, I'm flat on my face, and I had uh, hit the concrete on my knees. You know, I'm dressed up. I just come from work, all that kind of stuff, and I'm like... Oh, my God, who saw me? But I'm on down on this floor for like a good minute or whatever. Finally, the nurse looks over the thing. I'm trying to get up at this point in time. She looks over the thing. She said, oh, are you okay? I thought, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I just do this for practice, you know. And, um, and so I got to go get the, the woman out of the nurse. You know, I'm thinking everything is talking. I mean, it is screaming. I'm in heels. And, you know, you, you, you walk in and think, oh, God, oh, God, here I got to teach healing. And so I got her, and so I started teaching, and everything's talking, the knees. And I said, you know what? I said, just so you all know, I said, I just bit the dust down in the hallway over there. I said, I landed on my knees, and they are talking something fierce. So I'm going to do what I tell you to do when I come here. Let's open up the Deuteronomy 28. We opened up where knee pain is under the curse. I said, now go hold your place and go to Galatians 3.13. So you're going to see I've been redeemed from knee pain. So I put everything down. And I said, all right, see these hands are anointed to lay hands on the sick. Put your hands out and tell yourself that these hands are anointed to lay hands on the sick. And I said, I put my hands on my knees. I talked to those knees. And I said, now you listen up. Deuteronomy 28 says, this is a curse. I'm not cursed. Jesus bought and paid for it, and by his stripes, I am healed. He delivered, and I read those scriptures, and um, I said, I've been redeemed from the curse of knee pain, and so, and then I started to teach. My knees hurt, folks. They hurt. They were talking, 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 so it was about 10 seconds later. I'm in mid-sense. I said, oh, by the way, all the pain is gone. You can take the word of God, use the word of God. Don't let the enemy win. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and I praise you. And I just worship you. Your word has gone forth today. I thank you. It never returns to you a void. It accomplishes that which you please. And it prospers in the thing that it was sent to do. Your word prospers. We have planted and we have watered. And Father, but it's you that gives the increase. So today, this day, I speak to every person's body in this room and those that are listening Father, I thank you there's no time or distance in the Spirit. I take authority over fear, and I break every tentacle of fear in each one of our lives. I'm asking, Father, you to reveal to us the sneaky, hidden things that the enemy has entrapped us with, with fear and anxiety and doubt, and whatever derivative of fear has been able to hide itself inside of us. We call it to naught right now, and Father, I'm asking you to shed the glory glorious light, your light on the dark areas, the recess area and pinpoint those things that are rooted and grounded in fear and in the name of Jesus I break those things right now and I loose the power of the Holy Spirit and we take the blood of the Lamb and we just apply it to every area of our lives Father. We declare that we are free 
We are free. I speak to every sickness and disease that would try to manifest itself in any of our bodies, whether it's diseases of long continuance or something that just has come up. I don't care, neither does the blood of Jesus. We apply the blood of Jesus. We cut your authority this day, demand you to be removed and cast into the sea, and for health and healing to come forth. Bodies, you line up. You have heard the word of God. And you received it in Jesus' name. And health and healing and wholeness belongs to us. And we receive that to the full, to the overflow. And I'm hearing in my spirit, no, 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 it doesn't have to be a long time. It can be as quick as you say. So, Father, we call it forth quickly, quickly. What about now? You said in 24 hours, Lord, you could make something that was desolate uh, to life. And so we believe for life and turnaround and good reports, even though we don't go by those reports. We like good reports, Lord. But we thank you for health and healing and wholeness. Yes, I speak to eyes in the name of Jesus. For too long you've been dim, says the Spirit of Grace. But ah, now is the time and now is the day to receive a newness, a brightness, an enhancement. Even if you don't think you need, receive it, says the Spirit of the Lord. For I'm giving it to you new and afresh. Vision for a future. A hope and an expectant end. For I know you and the plans I have for you. Yes, and as my word says, indeed they are good to give you an expected end. I freely give them to you. And I withhold no good thing from you. To those that will honor me. And seek me, you will find me early. You will find me ready. You will find me willing. I'm your provider and I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Stand up. Go forth. Run. Fight. Finish the race I've given you. I've called you and I'm with you. I'll show you, I'll give you, I'll empower, I'll help. I'll do my part. Will you do yours? Yes, amen, Lord, we will. I love you, my children, with a passion and a love you're yet to know. Rise up and call me blessed, for I am your blessing. I am your sure thing. I am your provider. And certainly, I am your healer. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. We receive it. We call you blessed, Lord. We call you our provider, our wholeness, our all in all, our healer, our deliverer. Father, we declare our bodies every whit whole in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Amen.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You